0: listening to an episode of Dope with Lime, a production of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont University. Each episode of Dope with Lime explores the life, work, and legacy of Lillian E. Smith. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, at LES underscore center. Welcome. My name is Matthew Touch, and I am the director of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont University. On today's episode, I'm going to share with you some information about one of the programs that we started last year, a professional development program for P-12 educators in Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina. At the end of the episode, I'm going to share with you a couple of the recordings that we found and that we're in the process of getting digitized through a grant through the CLIR that will be available soon for scholars, researchers, educators, and others to use in their research and in the classroom. So, thank you for joining us today, and let's get started. As she prepared to close Laurel Falls Camp for Girls, a camp that Lillian Smith ran from 1925 to 1948, she wrote, I hope that the idea of Laurel Falls will not die. I want to believe that we have started a chain reaction of dreams that will go on touching child after child in our South. The Lillian E. Smith Center's program, specifically its annual P-12 professional development program for regional educators, continues Smith's goal of starting that chain reaction that will impact children and communities, not just in the South, but nationally and globally as well. Last year, in June 2022, we hosted our first institute, the Civil Rights Movement in Northeast Georgia. And this year, we are preparing to host our second annual institute, This one will be entitled, The Civil Rights Movement and the Nine-Word Problem. For the Civil Rights Movement in Northeast Georgia, participants spent the week at the center, staying in bunkhouses and essentially living together for the entirety of the program. They cooked together, hiked together, and formed countless connections. They stayed on the ground where Smith lived, where she ran Laurel Falls Camp, where she wrote, where she worked where she interacted with countless individuals involved in the civil rights movement, from Mary Church Terrell and Islanda Robeson to Lonnie King and students from Morehouse College. Participants inhabited that space, and they worked together and also with those who came before to create materials for their own classrooms. Over the course of the week, all of the participants spoke of the issues facing them as educators in the classroom. Notably, legislation such as divisive concept bills and incidents from their own careers that they've encountered. Some participants spoke about taking a sabbatical from teaching because of all of this and more. They spoke openly about burnout, seeing others leave the profession, and other obstacles that they faced as educators. They spoke about feeling like the only person in their school or district speaking up in the classroom, in meetings, or elsewhere on issues that impact students and the community. As we sat around on the final day and shared reflections from the week, two participants who had decided to take a break from teaching spoke about rethinking their decisions. They talked about the exhaustion, the burnout and the overwhelming pressure, but they also said that this week caused them to rethink their decision and return to the classroom. One of these teachers spoke about being part of the LGBTQ community and the importance of students seeing and hearing from him in the classroom. He had decided to take a few years off, but at the end of the week, he talked about a desire to return to the classroom, to be there for his students and community. These moments made us at the LES Center realize the importance of programs such as this for educators, to connect with other educators, and to recharge for the upcoming academic year. As such, the LES Center is planning its second annual institute this year, called the Civil Rights Movement and the Nine-Word Problem. It will take place June 12th through the 16th, 2023. During the week-long institute, participants will have sessions with Dr. Reverend Benjamin Boswell, Dr. Carrie Lee Merritt, and Dr. Jennifer Morrison, among environmental science activities with faculty from Piedmont University and a couple of excursions to places around Raven County. They'll explore the civil rights movement beyond what the Southern Poverty Law Center calls, quote, the nine-word problem which confines the movement to these nine words. Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream. Participants will do this by looking at works by Lillian Smith, Polly Murray, Ernest Gaines, and Martin Luther King Jr. While the Institute cannot provide an all-encompassing view of the movement, stretching beyond the bounds of how we typically think about the movement from the passage of Brown v. Board versus of Education in 1954 to King's assassination in 1968, it will provide participants with materials to bring back to their classrooms that adhere to state educational standards and expand their students' view of the movement within a confined set time period. When I, as the director of the Lillian E. Smith Center, conceptualize programs such as this, I always think about the facilitators and how their work connects with the overall themes and goals of the Institute. Each institute uses Lillian Smith as the fulcrum to assist educators in addressing various educational standards. And looking over the Georgia educational standards, the, this institute addresses specific ones in history and ELA, as well as art and other disciplines as well. For example, the United, history, the United States History Standard 21D reads, quote, Investigate the growth, influence, and tactics of civil rights groups. Martin Luther King Jr., The Letter from Birmingham Jail, the I Have a Dream speech, and Cesar Chavez. The Institute addresses this because we will read pieces from Martin Luther King Jr., specifically his I Have a Dream speech and his letter from Birmingham jail, which, at the end, he cites Lillian Smith as one of the whites who were actively engaged in the fight to win segregation. As well, the Institute will address the Civic Government Standard 7, which says, Demonstrate knowledge of civil liberties and civil rights. And the English Language Arts, the Institute addresses standards such as ELA-GSE 11-12-R19, which asks students to analyze foundational U.S. documents of historical and literary significance. These aren't the only standards that the Institute will address or allow teachers to address, but they are some of the main standards that, if you look at the Georgia Educational Standards, that educators can take material that we look at and take back to their classroom and address these. To meet these goals, I consider facilitators who have educational experience at any level that you can provide P-12 educators with information, material, and pedagogical tools to assist them in meeting these educational standards and others. This year, Boswell, Merritt, and Morrison will serve as facilitators, exploring with, with participants the works of civil rights activists, like I said before, Polly Murray, Lillian Smith, and Martin Luther King Jr., along with the fiction of Ernest Gaines, who explores the impact of the Civil Rights Movement on his little postage stamp of land in South Louisiana. Each of these activists and writers that we'll look at took part in the Civil Rights Movement in different ways. Some marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Alabama on Bloody Sunday or were jailed for demonstrating. Some led the March on Washington and March on Washington events, such as the one in 1942 that Polly Murray led to protest the state execution of Odell Waller. Some wrote extensively on the impact of racism not just on those who experience it, but on those who commit its atrocities, as Lillian Smith did. Some wrote about how the movement took time to reach into certain areas, and the impact that delay had on the communities, such as Ernest Gaines. Over the course of the Institute, participants will have the opportunity, as well, to work on lesson plans and projects that they can bring back to their classrooms. They'll have the chance to work with the facilitators and one another in the construction of these materials that will benefit their students. They'll also have the opportunity to learn about Mary Hambidge, a weaver and an artist who lived and worked near Lillian Smith in Raymond County. And they'll take time to learn from professors at Piedmont University about the flora and fauna of the region, opening up the opportunity for the sciences to take advantage of the natural habitat of the LES Center and the surrounding region. Finally, the facilitators bring an expansive knowledge about their areas of interest back to Lillian Smith's impact on their own work. Over the years, I have spoken with each of the facilitators on Dope with Lime and learned about the ways that Smith has impacted them both personally and professionally, each in different ways. Their connection with Smith and their discoveries of Smith's work remind me of the importance of institutes such as this. They serve as spaces for educators to learn in more detail about individuals and movements and to bring that knowledge and understanding back to their own classrooms and their community. If you're an educator in the region, you don't want to miss the opportunity to apply to be a participant in the Civil Rights Movement, the nine-word problem. We have space for 10 participants, and applications are open through May 1st, 2023. The Institute takes place, as I said, June 12 through the 16th. Each participant who is selected will, pres- will receive professional development hours. Each participant will receive a $200 honorarium. You will receive con- complimentary copies of the books and texts of the program, specifically the Lillian E. Smith Reader, along with Ernest Gaines's Bloodline. And participants will receive complimentary housing at the Lillian E. Smith Center. In order to apply, please send us a CV and a brief statement of purpose, about 500 to 1,000 words, describing why you're interested in the program. You can email these to lescenter at piedmont.edu. As well, you can fill out a form at lesp12.com. And if you go to that website, lesp12.com, you can find more information about the program. Participants will be notified of acceptance by May 15th, 2023, and we'll make sure to send out your complimentary copies of the materials at that date or a little bit later so you'll have them before the
1: Institute. One of the
0: joys that I have of working at the LES Center is actually looking around at the camp and seeing items that are there. A few years back, I was looking in a closet at some items that were left. Some of them were records. It was like Lillian Smith's record collection, full of everything from Paul Robeson to Mahalia Jackson and everything in between, from classical to spirituals to everything up until about the time she passed away in 1966. As I was kind of looking through the records, trying to see what she had in her collection, I came across some records that looked like they weren't mass produced, at least commercially, by a music um, company. uh, Civically recording companies, right? So it wasn't artists that were on the records. Some of them had kind of labels like drums or the trial or Laurel Falls Camp Banquet 1946. What these records were and what I discovered in boxes in the same area were actually recordings from the camp. They were recordings that Lillian Smith and Paula Snelling and others did from what appears to be the late 1930s through the 1960s, at least as far as we can tell. We found recordings on vinyl and on lacquer. And we also found reel-to-reel recordings that you would do with a portable kind of recording device. You know, these are probably them from the 50s. What you just listened to was actually a recording of some of the campers at Laurel Falls Camp singing a song. We found those, and when I initially found them, I had no clue that you could buy a portable recording device that would record onto vinyl records or onto lacquer records. It was extreme shock to me. So I brought him home and put them on my turntable, a few, a couple of them, and I knew that probably wasn't the best decision, but I did that and listened to them, and I had no clue what I was listening to. This was, like I said, a few years back. Since that time, I've kind of listened to them more and figured out what some of these things are, and we've actually got a grant to digitize them through the council of library information research and we are working in the process of finalizing digitizations and then providing these materials for listeners for educators for scholars just for anybody interested in listening to these materials and i just want to share a few of these with you here today and the first is actually recording i don't know when it was made it sounds like they bought a new reel-to-reel recording machine and at the beginning they're actually talking on um, Wallace. Wallace's um, wife, I believe, Maude, and Paula and some others are, sounds like, at the LES Center in the common room trying to figure out how to work this new recorder. You know, where to plug in the microphone, where to do all this. It's a really kind of interesting sound recording that they're trying to figure out this new piece of technology that cost, I think, $175 is what one of them says on there. And you can hear them actually toying around with it, and then there's a little space where they're talking about the books they're reading and how hard it is to read some books and not others. They're talking about um, Tone um, history books and things like that. So it's a really fascinating kind of insight into the personal life of Lillian Smith and those and her family and those who surrounded her, right? who she surrounded herself with. But the excerpt I want to play from you here, I believe, I can't say for certain, I need to kind of do more research, is from The Journey. So she's actually talking about death and why we actually, why some people fear death and why some people don't. But death and this existential kind of thought and feeling around death. So here's Lillian Smith. I can't tell if she's actually reading or if she's just ruminating and thinking about death. So here it is.
2: We have to work out a relationship with death and I'm not sure that I know what the words mean. I know that death must be accepted as a part of the process of life. I know that we've talked about meeting death, our appointment in Samara, rendezvous with death. I think those are, in a sense, probably melodramatic, well, too melodramatic ways of talking about death. But a relationship with death, we need, and I I don't, I can't go beyond that, a period comes in my mind that <clears throat> I think that what we hunger for when we say, <clears throat> we don't want to die. It isn't always life. it's It's closer to the word immortality. We all know that the people who fear death most are the people who have feared life most, who have gotten the least out of life, who have lived less fully. People who accept life and live it deeply and abundantly are not afraid of death, usually. So there's some connection there It is maybe that the human being keeps thinking that next year or tomorrow we'll begin to live on this earth. And death means it will, shall not have another chance at it. I don't know.
0: One of the first records I put on when I actually found these sounded really kind of interesting to me. It was sound like a radio broadcast, but I knew it wasn't a radio broadcast. It was actually Lil and Esther and other individuals kind of playing with the equipment, but they I thought they were actually recording a play or some kind of performance. And I had no clue what it was. I kind of did some digging, talked to Rose Gladdy and other people, and then I found out it was actually a play that the campers and Lillian wrote in 1940 before America's entrance into the war that her counselors didn't want her to perform because they said it was too anti-patriotic. And I found this out, like I said, partly by talking to Rose Gladney and her pointing me to a letter, which I'm about to read to you um, from her edited collection, How Am I to be Heard? But also when I went to the archives at UGA, I was looking at some of the materials and came across a play, an unpublished play. I believe it was entitled The Trial or The Radio Play. I don't remember the exact title. But I looked at it and I was like, this is very familiar. This is exactly what I heard on that record. And this play is one of those plays that Lillian and the campers wrote while they were there. You know, they wrote plays like The Drums, if you've read um, The Lillian Smith Reader from Rose Gladney, or The Girl. And we actually have, within these recordings, we actually have a performance of The Drums which Clark Atlanta, they were in talks with actually having it performed at when it was Atlanta University at that time. So there's actually recordings of these plays that Lillian talks about and writes about in the journal. And this is one that she doesn't write about in the journal in South Today, in the North Georgia Review and Pseudopodia. But this is one that she mentions in letters. And it's a really, I think, important insight into Lillian Smith's views about war, also views about World War II, Um, her ideas of patriotism, and all of this kind of wrapped into one. So this is a pretty lengthy letter, but I kind of want to read it because it sets up this excerpt I'm about to play for you. So on September 19, 1940, Lillian Smith wrote to Glenn Rainey, We had a good summer, talking about the camp. Smooth as far as the mechanics of camp were concerned, less encouraging to me as I watched war creep into our midst and twist feeling and thought. Our girls talked about God, about hell, about believing every word of the Bible um, than in all my camp experience I have heard before. They were less tolerant of blacks this summer, some holding bravely to their decency but others wavering, more inclined to defend the South, America, to hate Hitler and Germans. Even so, we had good talks, good good evenings together. Until I wrote a little play called 1940, a play for a young girl. They wrote that play, not I. I only put it down on paper. It came out of evenings when together we did not discuss war and peace, regimentation and death, but acted it out in singing and dance and impromptu chanting. Gathered together as we have done before in the library, we spent several evenings doing this. First playing on the drums, then beginning to talk about today, this year, what it meant to us. Election year, child refugees, Finland, propaganda, regimentation. And suddenly, someone would get up and chant their feelings or dance them out. And then, one night, some girls spoke of conscription, of regimented youth camps. And in my astonishments, their feelings of fear and panic poured out. Then I wrote the play. We were to give it. The girls were thrilled. We went to its first reading and rough walking through of the scenes. And suddenly, my counselors turned against me. The play was unpatriotic, they told me. Furthermore, it was not the kind of thing young girls should hear about. A a first-year callow young counselor told me that it wasn't good for children to hear about such things. They were too young. In all of my experience, I have never felt so much resentment against me, such a refusal to work with me on a project. I bowed my head to the storm and stopped work on the play, not because I was afraid to to give that play, but because I was afraid of seeing all the other values of summer destroyed by dissension and suspicion. But I gathered my children up one night, and we went to the library, and Esther read it to them. In all her life, she must not have read so beautifully and so movingly. The children were deeply touched and profoundly impressed. A few counselors had straggled in. I had invited none of them, and some told me afterward that they regretted that we had given up the idea of producing the play. But that was Esther's magic, and they did not really believe what they said. Well, I confess that I was awed by the incident. It has always always been so simple and easy to hold the group in the hollow of one's hand, so to speak, to win them over to almost any kind of project. But wars beat me. I had no more influence during that brief dissension when my loyal staff turned into a war mob than than, than if I had been the cook. But I quickly got our minds on fun again, on the banquet and the barbecue and the children's surprise for the counselors, and so the summer ended in peace. I suppose you'd call it my my appeasement policy. The children went home saying it was their happiest and best summer. The counselors went home saying the same and believing it. But the director saw them all off feeling sadder than ever in her life she had felt about a summer. It is not the physical part of war that sickens me, as it as it is what is happening to our minds and feelings. I think this is important kind of documentation of. Lillian Smith's kind of philosophy, not just about war, but just about life in general and the effects that it has on individuals. And I'm not sure when this recording was made. I don't think this is the recording that she's talking about. I did initially that when Esther read the play in the library because this actually has more moving parts in it. It sounds more like a rehearsal than actually just a reading of the play. I believe the man's voice is Wallace. Wallace Smith, who is one of Lil's brothers, I'm not sure, you can hear Esther in there and some others as well. But I'm going to play this excerpt for you, and this is actually them practicing it a couple of times. So you'll hear a little bit of repetition in here, but that is them rehearsing it, and you'll hear Lil kind of giving stage directions and things like that. England needs more recruits. Special courts have
1: been organized for conscientious objectors and slackers. France needs two thousand more bombing planes and Premier Deladier has sent America a special appeal. Belgium needs medical supplies for sick and wounded. China needs gasoline, oil, and more airplanes. Germany needs more bullets, not butter. Finland needs rifles and red cross. America Roosevelt nominated for third term by acclamation.
2: Lady Esther, Commander Red Fingernail Polish, perfect for the new military fashion straight from... I never smile again until
1: you smile. And this is WPT, Charlotte, North Carolina. Nazi planes inflict heavy damage on Dover. The invasion of Finland is a death blow to freedom. Tonight in Finland, men and women are very quiet, wondering what tomorrow will bring. President Roosevelt today said, quote, Italy's entrance into the war against France is a stab in the back of her neighbor, unquote. Flash, Australian troops have been rushed to Egypt to check any possible advance to the Suez Canal by Italy. I can't love, love you, you anymore, 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 any more than I do. If, if I loved you anymore, I would have to be too. I love you with my heart, I love you with my mind, I love you, love you, love you, love, you, love you. The Columbia Broadcasting System, news from Berlin.
0: Turn the radio down, it makes so much noise. Put on a record, I feel love, got the blues. Wait, did you say you saw the boy? Along with things such as the trial and... Lil reading from her work and just thinking about her work we also have like I said a lot of stuff from the camp and one of the things that really interests me from the camp instead of just that play that I just mentioned is actually these bus stories now bus eye was this fictional character kind of squirrel-like character that Lil created that would live on that lived on Screamer Screamer Mountain had a wife Keita and three kids Hersho, Rango and I don't remember the other one's name you'll hear it in just a second but he would come down and play pranks on the girls like some of the pranks that I've read about you know that they would take their mattresses out while the girls were out maybe riding horses they would take the mattresses out of the bunk and like put them outside things like that you know, he has this Hershey tree that girls, that the campers could go and actually get Hershey chocolate bars, you know, off of. One of the campers sent us her scrapbook and there's that Hershey wrapper in there and these letters to, to Busseye. I think Busseye is a really fascinating character in a lot of ways. Listening to these stories about Busseye and these stories that Lil and Paula and Esther and the counselors create to tell to the girls and also the girls interaction with them. It just sounds really fascinating to think of Bussai as a way that Lil is trying to push back against these patriarchal ideas of womanhood, specifically white Southern womanhood. You really see that in the way that Lil interacts and, you know, communicates with the triplets when they're being mischievous, quote unquote mischievous or being kind of rowdy or, you know, treating the girls wrong. She's quick to put them in their place. So it's a really, I think, fascinating kind of character that she's creating this mythology around Bussai. There's some records where he gets arrested. Um, there's a trial that's being had. I don't know what the trial's for. There's a wedding ceremony, actually, between busai and Kida. And then there's things like this that I'm about to share with you, which is actually kind of a scavenger hunt that sounds like in the gym, which... The chimney is the only thing remaining of the gym up at the LVS Center now, and that's where Lil is buried right next to it. But it sounds like they're in the gym actually doing this scavenger hunt, looking for these little clues that Bussai has left around for them.
2: You know, the tree up on Screamer Mountain, well, that's where Bussai lives, and Keita lives there with him. Now, Keita has great big wings, we can't see her, we can hear her sing. And they have three children, we call them triplets. One is Herschel and one is Rangel, and one is Sherita. And they've lived up there a long, long time, and they play tricks on the children at camp. But the tricks are right cute. Most of them are, anyway. Well, you know, I've been having the feeling that Buzzard might come to see us, because he comes down that mountain. And once, he, after he had been down the mountain, he got so tired, he said, huh, I'm tired of coming down that mountain. I wish I had a parachute and he felt something tickling and feeling funny in the tip of his tail, and he looked, and there was a parachute. Oh, do you see what I see? Oh, but Jacqueline, what do you see? A note from bus side. Oh, let's get it. Will somebody hand it to us? Quick. Oh, goody. Here it is. Read it, Jacqueline. What does it say? Go to the magic house. Oh, come on. Do you all want to go? Oh, Oh, do you see something? Yes, I see a note. What do you see? What do you see at the magic house? Oh, no, you see another note, don't you? Well, what does that note say? let go to the gong. Oh, go to the gong. Shall we go? Come on, let's go. Now, Mary, what do you see at the gong? Go to the gym. Oh, to the gym? I thought it said the parking space. Oh, does it? Or to the gym? Let's go to the gym. Come on. Oh, I see the lights on on the stage. Something must be happening. I Come see on. on. the curb. Oh, do you? Well, let's run up and get it. Tyra, do you see it there? Yeah. But well, get it down quick for us. <laughs> what does it say? Go, down, go down, down pass the gym. Oh, pass the gym? Oh, shall we go? Yes! Yeah. All right. All right. Oh, but look at that tree. Do y'all see what I see? Oh, let's all get one, shall we? Oh, goody, goody, goody.
0: Mm, Isn't it delish? These records are an important insight into Lillian Smith's life. Not just her activism that we see in all of her published works, from Strange Fruit all the way through Our Faces, Our Words, but it is kind of a glimpse into her role as a teacher and her kind of thoughts about pedagogy and about society and the world that we inhabit, specifically these pieces about the camp. You know, we have these texts that she wrote in South Today and North Georgia Review and Pseudopodia. We have her letters about the camp and the newsletters that she wrote to parents. But these are actually recordings of her interacting with these campers. And we've heard countless stories from campers and Campers have written in their obituary, or in their obituaries have been stories about how important that camp was to them. But this is her with these campers and with these counselors actually producing and creating art and stories and other things that help them understand and navigate the world. So, what I really find interesting about those specific records, and what I'm really hope that scholars and the educators and myself will dig into. Is the ways that Lillian Smith views herself as a teacher and as an educator. You know, the other things that I think are really fascinating that we found are records that her and Paula actually recorded while they were on Rosen while they were doing Rosenwald fund um, interviews across the South. They have recordings of musical performances at Talladega College in Alabama and they have interviews with people. They have stories and poems and different things. There's just so much here that helps us to understand Uh, Lillian Smith and Paula Snelling and Esther Smith during this moment. And to close out this episode, I want to leave you actually with the campers singing the Busseye song where they name Hersha, Rainjo, and Sharita, And as well, if you're interested, as we talked about in the first part of this episode, in the P-12 Summer Institute, make sure to email us at lescenter at piedmont.edu or find more information at lesp12.com. Now, please enjoy the Bus Eye Song.
1: Hershore Angel, Sharita, and the Bus Eye, Bus Eye
2: Keeper. Angel, Sharita, and the Bus Eye Now, Bus Eye are so proud since those triplets came. And we all know that Screamer now would ever be the same. Hershel Range, O Sharita, and a the Sabbath basa Sakita. Hershel Range, Sharita, and a the Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Dope with Lime. Did you enjoy this episode? Have thoughts? Use the hashtag Dope with Lime on social media, or get in touch with us at LES Center at piedmont.edu. You can learn more about living at East Smith and the center by visiting www.piedmont.edu/les.